Welcome once again to our Wednesday night Bible study time. And uh, this evening we're going to be looking at another passage in the book of Romans, and uh, Romans chapter 13. And we'll consider this uh, particular passage over two separate studies, a similar topic, and reading this evening from verse 1 through to 7. But before we do so, uh, can we just pray, bow our heads as we commit this time to the Lord. Lord, we confess our total uh, dependence on you. And not only in uh, learning, but Lord, in every breath that we take, everything that we have is from your hand. And so as we just even gather together tonight, as we share together in your word, our dependence also on your Holy Spirit, on your word, your revelation that you have preserved for us, praying that your Holy Spirit would give to us understanding that you would Open our minds, illumine our minds, we pray. And lead us, Lord, forward as those who are your children and who seek to please you in all that we do. And so, commending each other to you, praying for this time together, in Jesus' name. Amen. So the passage, Romans 13, reading from verse 1 down to verse 7. Let every person be subject to the governing authorities. For there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed, and those who resist will incur judgment. For rulers are not a terror to conduct, uh, but to bad. Would you have no fear of the one who is in authority? Then do what is good, and you will receive his approval. For he is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain. For he is the servant of God, an avenger, uh, carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. Therefore one must be in subjection, not only to avoid God's wrath, but also for the sake of conscience. For because of this you also pay taxes. For the authorities are ministers of God, attending to this very thing. Pay to all what is owed to them. Taxes to whom taxes are owed, revenue to whom revenue is owed, respect to whom respect is owed, and honor to whom honor is owed. So just so far, uh, the reading of God's word, we we come to this topic tonight of uh, government and how we as Christians uh, respond. And uh, considering our own situation here in our country, in South Africa, uh, also just seeking to engage with this particular passage and see what what is it that we can learn. And uh, my desire tonight, and, and perhaps even the, not it has been the prayer tonight, that we would have confidence in what God um, is doing in the unfolding of His uh, purposes uh, for this world and, and even in the world. So to begin with, I want you Uh, Consider just a a question, bringing some scripture together and and seeing, well, practically, how then do we go forward? We know so well that scripture uh, before Jesus ascended and uh, said to his disciples, all authority, all authority in heaven and earth had been given to him. And and, and so we, we see this picture where Jesus is in control. He is 
we could say, the boss of the heavens and the earth. How then, if that is true, and we're told also in Romans chapter 12, verse 2, not to be conformed to the world. How do we as Christian citizens, how do we as Christian citizens live in the context of civil government? And not just in in theoretical terms, how do we do so in this uh, lovely country of ours, uh, South Africa? Pulling those two together uh, does seem to bring about some kind of conflict of authority. Uh, Authority of God on the one hand, and we have the authority of government on the other hand. And I do want to make the point that it's not... Uh, just a, a difficulty of conflict in the midst of uh, present government, whether it be the ANC today, but the same question uh, can be asked and should be asked about governments of the past, a government led by the National Party or the United Party or, or government that would be led by any other party in into the future. We Christians end up having some kind of confusion stirred within us, emotion as to, well, how do, how do I as a, as a citizen of this world and also a citizen of another world, how do I live that out? How do you live that out, uh, being a citizen of heaven, but also a citizen of a particular country and citizen of South Africa? And there, there are some tensions that that arise, some some conflict, and uh, how do you make sense, for example, of the the mixed bag and and much good that has come about uh, in the recent days and and, and era of government, but but also much chaos that has come about. How do you bring that together as a Christian? What will you do, and and how do you respond to uh, the laws that forbid parents to discipline their children? Whereas the Bible would uh, advocate and teach that spare the rod, you spoil the child. How do we go forward in that kind of thing? Thinking of those that are in the medical profession, uh, dealing with the legalization of abortion and and freedom of conscience and and the pressure to perform an abortion or or even a, a minister like myself having to conduct a wedding where it's legal and uh, there is the, a law that provides for the marriage of, 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 of a man to a man or a woman to a woman, where the Bible teaches uh, under God's authority that marriage is between a man and a woman. And so we, we, we find ourselves uh, having to face difficult issues, difficult questions, confusing issues when it comes to being a Christian citizen of heaven and also a citizen of the world. Well, we can't answer all the questions, or I certainly can't answer all the questions, but I do want to look at this passage tonight and see what is it that we can take from it, what is it that God is leading us in and providing uh, clarity for us as Christians living in a secular state. Now, there there are two topics, and I'm I'm only going to deal with the one topic this evening. And and the first topic, the, the evening, this evening's topic will consider the first emphasis, which will uh, be God and our government, God and government. Next week, I will, uh, well, next time, we won't actually meet next week because it is a public holiday, uh, but, but I want to get a little bit more specific about you or me as a Christian and government. 
But then my first point tonight, under this major heading, God and our government, uh, I want to state emphatically from what I see from the scriptures here, God establishes all authority. Now, we don't have to look very far, certainly not where I live in Linwood Ridge, to see the order that exists amongst little ants. As they march around outside and inside the house, if they have opportunity, those little ants marching around in an organized fashion. I don't know much about the detail of how that happens, but it it, it does communicate a message to me that these ants must have somebody in charge. And it's true of what we see in the animal kingdom uh, in the context of bees. They are organized. They, they seem to cooperate. There's the, the queen bee and, and, and somebody else in that colony of bees uh, communicating and, and bringing about order. Uh, I see that there are herds uh, of cattle even driving along on a freeway. And, and I've often wondered to myself, who's leading them in the particular direction they're going in? And, and fish swim in schools. And, and so there seems to be this clear order of authority established by God in all of creation. Uh, Not only amongst animals, but if we look at the Bible, we see that also God placed mankind over creation. Back in Genesis chapter 1 verse 27, God created man in his own image. Verse 28, God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it, and have dominion. There's there's an overall charge given to us as as people. Have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on earth. So God gives mankind uh, authority uh, over all living things. And, And the point that I'm driving at in a general sense here is that there is an obvious and general sense in which order exists. Very, very important to to see that order exists. And for that order to exist, something, someone needs to be in charge. Someone needs to be the boss. Now, if we look down through the course of history, there have been various expressions of government uh, authority, even as we uh, read and, and discover in the unfolding pages of the Bible, uh, Israel operated under theocracy. Uh, God led them. And then they got to a point where they wanted a king. And, and we see that there was a, a monarchy established under Saul and David and, and many other kings. And, and we've seen, if we look further afield and even amongst other nations, there are at times autocracies where there's one person in charge and, and that person dictates, and, and sometimes we even call that person a dictator. The important point I'm trying to make as we look at this passage, it must be noted that government is not man's idea. Which leads to Paul's statement in this uh, chapter, chapter 13, verse 1. There is no authority except from God. Which leads me to my next sub-point, which says that authority and order are part of God's general design in his creation. So God establishes government. 
He places structures in place to ensure that order, and again that's a very important word, rather than chaos, rather than chaos prevails in society. And, and so God delegates authority to government. You remember a comment that Jesus made to Pilate. Uh, Pilate was asserting his own authority on that particular instance. In John chapter 19 and verse 11, Jesus answered him, very plainly and simply, you would have no authority over me at all unless it had been given to you from above. Now, I think most of us Christians are comfortable uh, with this general design of God uh, establishing order by delegating authority to governments in principle. We, 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 we can live with that. We can tolerate that. But the difficulty comes when we get to specific individuals who occupy positions of authority. We know in our own country, our constitution allows for the appointment of a democratically elected government. And most then will affirm, well, since democracy is in place, we uh, see that this must be of God. However, what about the previous government? Was that instituted by God? What about the various people in the positions as president of the country in South Africa, whether go, we go back years and years to uh, the Favut era or or we go to Paul Kruger's era back just to the Transvaal Republic, or, or, or we move on in, in our South African history, and, and we have F.W. de Klerk, or you have Nelson Mandela, or, or Thabo Mbeki, or Jacob uh, Zuma, or presently Cyril Ramaphosa. What, what about the specific appointments of these leaders, these uh, people in position of authority? Does God have anything to do with the people appointed having the authority to govern. We don't really like to accept that to be the case, but what do we see? What do we see in the unfolding of Scripture? Let me give you an example. Uh, Romans chapter 9, verse 17. For the Scripture says to Pharaoh, for this purpose I've raised you up. Now Pharaoh, we know, was no saint. He was not some godly leader that God had uh, put into a position to bring about some godly purpose in Pharaoh's life, not at all. He led a kingdom, we know, that thrived under the slavery of God's own people. But God placed him in that position for the purpose that he had in mind. We see that God repeatedly raised up leaders and kings. God who appointed Saul, God who appointed David. It was God who humbled Nebuchadnezzar. Now, Nebuchadnezzar as a, as a uh, foreign king uh, later raised him up back to reign in Jan Daniel chapter 4 verse 31. While the words were still in the king's mouth, there fell a voice from heaven. O king Nebuchadnezzar, to you it is spoken. The kingdom has departed from you. God took it from him. We later read it's God who raised up the judges. An example, chapter 3 and verse 15. Then the people of Israel cried out to the Lord, and the Lord raised up for them a deliverer. God, God was doing it. God raising up a specific person. In this particular instance, Ehud, the son of Jerah, the Benjamite, a left-handed man. We know too, 
Jesus confirming uh, God's, his father's sovereign authority in response to the disciples uh, asking about the timing of the restoring of the kingdom of Israel. Acts chapter 1 verse 7, he said to them, It is not for you to know the times or seasons that the father has fixed by his own authority. Sovereignty of God. And then we have a phrase, the phrase in our passage today, I think it really confirms the matter. It's very difficult to try and uh, eradicate this particular verse from the subject. Verse 1, there is no authority except from God. And those that exist have been instituted by God. Well, it leaves us and moves us to our second, my second point. Uh, authority and order are part of God's specific appointment of rulers. Now, it's very difficult to avoid this conclusion that I've just stated. And again, if the visions given to John, a book that we really love because it unfolds to us something about the future uh, victory that will eventually be seen by all, uh, by Jesus, but, but in the unfolding of that vision uh, recorded for us in the redemptive purposes of God, for those details to unfold according to what God has revealed and said, God has to be in charge. He has to be in control of every single of those details. Let me give an example. Uh, Revelation chapter 17 verse 12. And the ten horns that you saw are ten kings who have not yet received royal power. In other words, when this was written, these were future appointments by God in the world. They are to receive authority as kings for one hour together with the beast. God's plan, God's unfolding purpose, God in charge. What we mustn't miss is that whether it be Pharaoh or Pilate or Nebuchadnezzar, they are not just random appointments. And and, and I believe this is where we uh, as Christians in South Africa must be encouraged. No appointment is merely random or or bad luck or, or misfortune. That authority is given to them by God. They are appointments with purpose. I want us to think a little bit about that for a minute. They are appointments with purpose. So Romans chapter 9 verse 17 again. I read it just now. Pharaoh, for this purpose I have raised you up, that I might show my power in you, that my name might be proclaimed in all the earth. So God used him as an instrument to bring about a greater purpose, which was not seen in the immediate situation. We see the same sovereign and providential and redemptive hand of God uh, in Joseph. We've done studies in Joseph at Central um, over the years. And in Genesis chapter 45, uh, Joseph uh, revealing himself to his brothers, do not be distressed or angry with yourselves. You sold me here uh, because you sold me here. For God sent me before you to preserve life. So God was ruling and and overruling and orchestrating a greater purpose than the malicious intentions of his brothers. And then he goes on, for the famine has been in the land these two years. 
There are yet five years in which there will be neither plowing nor harvest. And God sent me before you to preserve for you a remnant on earth to keep alive for you many survivors. So it was not you who sent me here, but God. He has made me a father to Pharaoh, lord of all his house, and ruler over all the land of Egypt. Now there are many things, and I, I, I want to make that very clear tonight. There are many things I don't understand. Things that happened, things that were perpetrated under certain leaders. And, and we can mention uh, leaders, uh, country north of us, a country that was decimated and destroyed by Robert Mugabe. Why? Why would God appoint him? We we wonder about that. What about uh, Gaddafi or, or Hitler or Stalin or uh, even in our South African context, going back and, and P.W. Boerter or, or Jacob Zuma? I don't know. And I don't think any of us will necessarily know all the details. But we can take comfort um, in that the appointment is not outside the scope, a word, a phrase that I frequently use, God's redemptive purposes. God is in control. Romans 8.28, uh, all things, we, we believe it, we say it, and we can't just say it when it suits us. We have to say it when it doesn't suit us, when it doesn't fit our particular ideology or, or philosophy or even our theology. All things work together for good. We must be giving our lives as Christians, as living sacrifices to God. John Piper makes a statement, and I, I like this statement. It was a very helpful statement. It will come up on the screen for you. Just looking at the many questions we have uh, with leaders, even currently in the world at the moment, who we wonder why on earth would God appoint them as leaders? Well, John Piper says we seldom know the micro reasons for the sufferings, and he's speaking there about the sufferings of people who are subjected to the terror of a particular leader. But the Bible does give us what he calls faith-sustaining macro reasons. In other words, there's a big picture. We don't know the detail, we don't know the little reasons, the specific reasons, but, but what are the what are some of the bigger picture issues that we can know? Is it, is it that God is leading a particular nation down a pathway of pointing them to the need of repentance, drawing the attention to himself, showing themselves as, as people who have turned their backs from him? And, and so he brings about certain calamity, as he did with the Chaldeans, as Habakkuk tells us. So repentance may be a macro purpose. What about the purpose of leading us in total dependence of God? It's normally when we find our backs to the wall, or we have unanswered questions, that we really are faced with the truth and the reality that we people, we frail mortal people, need to be and should be totally reliant on God. And so when we're placed in a situation where the comfort around us is removed, it, 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 it could be God's purpose to be leading us back to a place of dependence on Him. It could be that there needs to be some cleaning or uh, disciplining to bring about righteousness 
And so often uh, suffering can be a form of, of discipline that, that leads people down a pathway of being sanctified and becoming more like Jesus, uh, walking uh, a road of holiness. And then there's one macro reason that we must always remember. Any form of suffering, and particularly under this topic tonight, under a, a leader uh, that is um, callous and, and malicious and selfish, and we end up suffering, we identify with Jesus as one who is and was the suffering servant. A reminder to us that God sent his son into the world to suffer so that our suffering would not be God's condemnation, but God's purification. And again, that's a quote from John Piper. I think it's a good quote, something we so easily forget. So be assured, and this is uh, an encouragement as I've come to that passage for myself, also living as a citizen in a country, uh, God has not lost the plot. God knows what he's doing. He is unfolding a cosmic, international, national, local, specific purpose. God's, here's a bigger word, decorative purposes will be realized. Nothing will frustrate uh, God in what he is doing and what he has planned. I want to move on to a second major point. And I've called it now, God provides the job description. So this, this is what these uh, people in authority uh, should be doing. This passage tells us. And, and remember right at the beginning, we spoke about order and, and uh, righteousness, uh, this, these being the ways of God. So, so governments, uh, presidents, have the responsibility, office bearers in government have the responsibility to promote good and to punish evil. That's, that's their job description. They, they ought to. They must promote good and, and, and they must punish evil. Have a look at our passage in verse 3. For rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. For he is God's servant for your good. For he is the servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. And it's not just the Apostle Paul that writes this to the Romans. We have it from the Apostle Peter uh, and and writing, they're writing in a context where government was not very friendly to Christians. Peter writes in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 13, Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it is to the emperor as supreme or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. That is the role of government. Government is God's servant. It should be God's servant. It's their mandate to be his servant, to uphold and to reward good and to restrain and to punish evil. So we can ask the question, what, what should you expect from government? Next time somebody knocks on your door and uh, they want you to vote for their party, uh, open up your Bible to Romans chapter 13, and, and speak about these things. What kind of good are they bringing about? What kind of evil are they restraining? And so I could give some examples. These are just some of my own thoughts. 
as as an application of 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 the promotion of good and the restraining of evil uh, the government should preserve morality or moral values and 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 how can they do that the implementation of uh good and sound education systems but, but not a system that works against god and against family and and against the children but that which should honor god government can share in and even encourage the participation of citizens in welfare and relief uh, doing so to do good and help those in need uh, we know that a good economy uh, produces greater wealth in enabling more money to be shared by more people and so therefore government should provide uh, a context in which that can happen uh, growth in employment so more and more people can be uh, working and 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 uh, providing for themselves and their families infrastructure development again which would assist in in the development of the economy and then on the negative side in the restraining of evil we should have a justice system that acts objectively and fairly expeditiously we should have a good policing system uh, follows up and, and and doesn't show uh, partiality uh, to any uh, particular person or group and the government ought to bring about a peaceful coexistence amongst the peoples of a land leads me to a second question on the negative side what you should not expect from government and 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 I'd love I wish somebody from our government would turn to Romans chapter 13 self enrichment at the expense of the people that's not the role of government corruption nepotism misuse and abuse of power that takes uh, from the people and and does not serve the nation and uh, Government that tolerates and permits chaos or lawlessness or injustice. Now I want to say, in even in the doing of this evil, when it occurs, kings and presidents and rulers cannot frustrate the purposes of God. They can choose to neglect the commands of God, but to their own peril, which will lead me, which does lead me to my third point this evening. God will hold governments and leaders accountable. Psalm 2, it's a psalm I've repeatedly taught from and preached from, uh, records the dramatization of kings and rulers of the earth who do their best to defy God. Uh, they set themselves against the Lord and His anointed. We're told that they conspire together to cut themselves from the authority and power of God. But the psalm uh, describes the response from God. Verse 4 of Psalm 2. He who sits in the heavens laughs. The Lord holds them in derision. Then he will sp speak to them in his wrath and terrify them in his fury, saying, As for me, I have set my king on Zion, my holy hill. The psalm should be compulsory reading for presidents and ministers of government. And this psalm points a finger to them from God and says to them, each one of them, each one of them, be careful, God will hold you accountable. 
you will not get off scot-free. You cannot frustrate the purposes of God. That you will know will never happen. God will overrule and, and orchestrate and bring about. But if you do not carry out your responsibility as God's servants to promote good and punish evil, notice what Psalm 2 verse 9 says. This is what God will do to you. You shall break them with a rod of iron and dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. Justice will be done. And so God adds in the unfolding of this drama. This is the warning. Verse 10. Now therefore, O kings, be wise, be warned, O rulers of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. All of us, at some level, will be held accountable to God. So even us leaders in the local church, those of us who preach the word, whether we do so responsibly or whether we do so irresponsibly, God will hold us accountable. We see this in Hebrews 13 verse 7. Obey your leaders and submit to them. He's speaking now of those in the church. They're keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Not one of us will escape having to give an account to God. Romans chapter 14, verse 12. So then each of us will give an account of himself to God. Well, let me conclude. Be assured, governments do not replace God. God is on his throne. And just where we started, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to Jesus. All governments are subject to God, appointed by God, and they ought to be the authority to promote good and to punish evil. And so there is a relationship even with our own government in South Africa and God. They are not disconnected. And so as those who are believers, those who are children of God, uh, whoever the government of the day may be, let us remember that God's redemptive purposes are weaved in and through whoever is in power. All the evil that governments and kings and rulers perpetrate, who will be exposed and punished. And thirdly, and I mentioned this just as, a, as, a, as, a, as an item now in this conclusion, pray fervently for those in authority. We're instructed to do that in 1 Timothy chapter and then as our passage indicates, and I'll get uh, more of this next week as we speak about uh, a different aspect of this passage, let us give to Caesar what is Caesar's and to God what belongs to God. Uh, as I say, more of that next time we come together. And so I do trust that's been a helpful study tonight and uh, give you a little bit of confidence. Uh, God knows what he's doing in South Africa and every other place in the world. His purposes are unfolding. And man, we look forward to that day when Jesus returns and there'll be that great wedding feast of the Lamb and all of these uh, aspects and eras and incidents of chaos will be behind us. And so, Father, thank you for your word that gives us some kind of glimpse to have confidence in the present, in what you're doing, but anticipation also for the future and what you will unfold and what you have promised, especially to those who are your children. And so to each one tonight, bring about much uh, encouragement by your spirit, stir in our hearts, Lord, hope 
as we move into the future. Let us not become discouraged or disillusioned. Help us instead to look to you and trust you in what you're doing. As they did back in the first century, those early believers who were persecuted. Um, and as other believers have done down through the centuries, always looking to you, knowing that your purposes will stand. And we pray this, Lord, that you would be exalted, that your name would be known amongst all peoples of the earth. And may Jesus be praised. Amen. Now, just a, a final comment. We do have a final slide with some questions. I think this could be a, quite a, a fiery discussion or debate that could go on in your groups. Uh, but please have the debate, look at the questions, have the discussions, but remember always to take the cue from the scriptures and not from uh, the other way around, from life and, and practical experience. So God bless you, be with you, and looking forward to ministry on the weekend.